as, as we begin as we begin our service together, let's quiet in our hearts. As hard as that may be. And whatever you have come in from this morning, the hustle and bustle of a busy journey to church, maybe the chaos of kids, or the deafening silence of an empty home, we come here to worship. So let's just quieten ourselves and ask the Lord of heaven to draw near. Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. Brothers and sisters, let's sing to our God. Let's sing about our God. And let's sing to encourage one another to live for our God. Let's stand and sing together.
praying together. Oh, God in heaven, you are unbelievably, unimaginably, and yet truly and gloriously good and holy and perfect. And we worship you and we love you. Our brokenness goes so deep. Our sin is so apparent in our lives. The blackness often of even our desires and our motives. And yet, Lord, you in your mercy and your goodness have reached into those depths. Lord, and you have transformed us by the work of your spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection on the cross. Thank you for your unending mercy. Lord God, we pray and we ask that today we would leave here changed people, faith increased, that our wounds would be bound up by the truth of the gospel and all that we have in Christ, that our hopes would be lifted and raised and that our perseverance in this race would be strengthened. And that a love for you, a deep love, would be kindled and, enf and inflamed. And that our desire to reach the lost would be sharpened. Lord, we cannot do any of this without the power and the work of your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask you, help us. We ask that you would wean us from the world. That you would help us to put to death the sins in our lives that so easily entangle and distract us. And that you would give us a holy and single-minded focus to live for you and for your glory in our work, in our parenting, in our families, in our communities, and in our individual living and our thinking. Lord, overwhelm us with the reality of your presence and your glory and transform us more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your will. This is your plan, your purpose. These are your words that you call to us in scripture, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that you are working in us to transform us more into the image of the likeness of your son. And so we ask you, Lord, please do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, good morning to you. Welcome to our morning service here at Charlotte Chapel. For those that might not know me, my name's Ashley, and I have the joy to serve here as uh, one of the pastors in training. Welcome to you um, at home on the live stream as well. There are still a number of us that are tuning in there, and so we want to welcome you. Um, you might have noticed a few more extra spaces today, and you're wondering, why is that? Well, that's because 90 um, of our students are away at a yak weekend away in our broth, um, and so we'll be praying for the teaching that's going on there through the book of Leviticus, um, and we're looking forward to them being back with us. I want to say a quick well done to the Scottish rugby team. Um, I imagine lots of people will be rejoicing, not just those of you that support Scottish football, but those of you that love to see England lose. Um, but rugby aside, um, if you're a Christian here today, you have much, much, much more reason to rejoice. As we have just sung, Christ is risen, death is defeated, our sins have been cleansed, and we have the most incredible future ahead of us. You get to know the God of the universe and dwell with him forever. What good news. And it's a news that we want to not only rejoice in ourselves, but share with others around us. And so we're just going to chat to one of our pastors, uh, Andy Patterson, who's going to tell us a little bit about uh, our up-and-coming um, mission focus, a passion for life. Morning, brother. Hi, yeah. Um, so, passion for life. You're going to speak for the next couple of weeks about that, and we're going to be heading into that over the next season. Could you just tell us a little bit about that for those that might not know, and just to remind us and get us excited about that? Super. Great opportunity. Uh, so these next couple of Sunday mornings, we're deliberately focusing on how we can make Jesus known with a view to a mission week that is coming up for us, 10th to the 17th of April. It may sound a long time away. It will be here before you know it. That is the week that leads up to Easter Sunday. So if you've booked holiday, if you're going somewhere warm and exotic, you still have time to cancel those holiday plans so that you can be around for mm -hmm. our week of mission. And during that week of mission, we've got the evangelist Michael Otts with us. Michael is a wonderful communicator of the good news of Jesus. And so we're looking to his time with us. He's going to be preaching uh, the uh, first two services on the 10th and then on the 17th, the Easter Sunday, it culminates, and in fact culminates at the Usher Hall uh, that evening. We won't be having a service here on Easter Sunday evening. 
we'll be joining with thousands of others at the Usher Hall as Michael Otts again will be preaching and declaring God's word. Mm. Now, the way we're doing it, we realize that because it is that Easter period and there may well be some diary clashes, what we're asking folks to do is to concentrate on two particular events. The first is on Tuesday, the 12th of April, so the Tuesday in that week, when we're going to be having what we call a Songs of Praise with choir and with orchestra and with videoed segments. Um, by the way, uh, you may well, if you're in the choir, be picking up something from Gavin about inviting you to uh, come along to the practices for that. Do come uh, and make use of that opportunity. So that Songs of Praise, Tuesday the 12th, would love you, please, to, to be there and would love you to be able to bring friends, neighbors, colleagues who might be interested in something uh, like that. And then on Friday the 15th, that's Good Friday, we're having what we're calling Easter Praise with the band and uh, a variety of uh, songs, maybe some of them more contemporary. And again, Michael Arts will be bringing God's word to us. Through the week, we're going to be having uh, an art exhibition running here in the building. And also that's going to be accompanied by a cafe so that folks who uh, come in to look at the artwork that's been uh, created by members and friends of the church so that we can engage them with conversation and talk about some of the things that maybe they are going to be seeing displayed. Now, the artists are already well underway in preparation for that. In fact, we're asking them to have their pieces prepared by the end of February. But you may be here. You may say, I hadn't heard about that, Andy. We would love you to be involved as well if you could fit into those timescales. Uh, if there's some work you'd like to prepare around that whole theme of passion for, uh, for life, um, see uh, Andy Finlayson, if you know who Andy Finlayson is, or see me, and I will pass on your details. Um, we are going to require quite a few volunteers for that week. So the exhibition's going to be going Monday to Friday, 10 till 3, and we need volunteers who are going to help man the cafe and also just be present in the building, sharing and talking. If you could help us in that way, there are six clipboards distributed around the building. Two are at the front here, or one was, and someone's stolen it. But there, was, there are two clipboards here, just as well we have, we've, we've put geolocating tags on them, so we'll know where they we'll are. We'll find you. Um, and uh, there's two at the, uh, at the doors in the galleries you go out, and there are two in the lobby. In fact, they're on the media table. Forgive us, Ray, for that. But sign up if you can help us. Maybe take a morning, maybe take an afternoon, just to be present, uh, to be there. We would love if you can do that. Now, in addition, there's a variety of events uh, going on around Edinburgh. It's not just us. Passion for Life is a national event, and there are gospel churches in Edinburgh who are joining together to, to do this, and there's going to be a wide program of things going on during March and April, and we'll be publicizing that as well. So it isn't just saying, look, these are the things you're confined to. There are other events in other parts of the city. Uh, just as uh, other churches will be hearing about what we're doing, we're going to be sharing with one another about those things. Now, um, forgive us, next Sunday, I'm going to be saying more or less the same things again. Uh, because of the hundred uh, sheep who have gone astray, we are going to be, uh, again, communicating to them about uh, that week and maybe bringing uh, some other details about our Passion for Life week. So 10th to the 17th of April, Tuesday the 12th, Friday the 15th, and the Sunday's either end. We'd love you to be there. We'd love you to help us. So thank you. And possibly, Andy, if um, we can't remember all those things, will we get this sent out in the mail, Chimp, so yeah, that we yeah, have those yeah, details yeah. written down? We'll do that. Yeah, great, so we can get that. Thank you. Okay, let's, um, we're going to spend some more time together in prayer, not just praying for those things that Andy has just mentioned, but uh, those things within our wider church uh, and in the nation at large. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in view of your loving mercy and amazing grace, we offer our whole bodies to you as living sacrifices of worship, holy and pleasing to you. Please help us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but by your word and spirit to be transformed as you renew our minds. Father, thank you for your goodness and your glory. 
Thank you that you are a treasure beyond all worth. Lord, our words can't express it, and yet it is true. And we want to proclaim our love for you and our gratitude and our thanks to you. As a church family, we want to bring before you those within our congregation that have many needs. And Lord, some of them do not want to share those needs publicly. And we love and respect that. But Father, you know them. You know them intimately. And so we bring them before you. We pray for those in our congregation who are sick. Uh, for those whose marriages are being buffeted, for those who are wrestling and struggling with sins, sexual sins, pride, arrogance, sins of uh, deep doubt and fear. Lord, would you help those in our congregation? Would you draw near to those? Lord, would you be pleased to use us, your spirit-filled people, to share your spirit-inspired word and to do as Galatians 6 says, to, to rebuke and to restore our brothers and sisters in a spirit of gentleness or to speak uh, a word of encouragement and exhortation or strengthening. Lord, would you um, create in us, uh, would you do, uh, would you Make us to be a community of people who speak your word to one another and therefore strengthen each other and glorify you. Our God, we bring before you the names in our church family um, that do want to be named. We think of Natasha Black in hospital and Ian and Joyce Balfour now at home uh, and Sarah Forsyth who is unwell and Morris Gunn-Russell who has been brought home. Lord, by your grace, would you strengthen these saints as they battle health issues and advancing age. Lord, would you draw near to them? And we pray particularly for Celia Barron, Lord, and the news that she's heard this week. Lord, you have walked her through dark days. Uh, and Lord, we ask that you would draw near in a special way to walk her through this particular valley. Strengthen her and Sam as he walks along with her. And Lord, may we, as, a, uh, as your body, the church family, intercede for her and serve in any practical way that we can. We want to rejoice as well, Lord, and thank you for the Yak Weekend away. Thank you for those 90-odd students that have gone out there. And Lord, we pray for James and Rachel as they lead that. And we pray for Stephen, who teaches uh, as he walks through the book of Leviticus. Lord, we would ask that you would continue to grow and to shape the students and young workers among us. We thank you for them. We thank you for their heart to serve you, to dig into your word and to love you. And we ask that you would bless that ministry. Uh, we thank you, our Father, for, those, um, uh, for the way that you have laid upon the hearts in our church family to go out to the farthest reaches of this world with the gospel of your grace. We think particularly of our cross-cultural workers in focus this week, for Kevin and Fiona Boyce, and we, we thank you for the ongoing work that Kevin does in pastoral support, in developing and producing Bible studies, and for the training that goes on. And we thank you, too, for the promising news of Fiona's cancer prevention medication. Lord, we um, intercede for them and we ask that um, this tough news about Lorraine, who's been working with Kevin for 10 years and has now stepped down, that Lord, that wouldn't be too much of a heartache for Kevin, but Lord, that you would bring the right person uh, that's going to be a, a useful instrument in your hand to continue that visitation work and to walk, work alongside Kevin um, to do the work that you've called them to do. Father, we think too of uh, the many many millions of people that do not know you, that do not know a Christian, that have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think of the Minnan Chinese people in New Zealand, those that ended up there through migration and escaping from uh, mainland China. And once again, Father, we ask that you would raise up other Chinese Christians within New Zealand, perhaps, and that they would strike up relationships with these in order to reach them for Christ. And Father, we do ask again once uh, for the Passion for Life conference. Lord, would you stir our hearts? Uh, would you please impress upon us those of our family and friends that we're seeking to reach, those that we've been praying for in our small groups? And would you give us a, a holy focus and a great heart to want to uh, step out in faith, to encourage, uh, to invite, uh, to Lord be willing to serve 
Uh, and would you bless this national uh, event in order to try and reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? And would we see men and women, boys and girls, come to a saving knowledge of you because they've heard about the great Savior of sinners, the one who died upon a cross to pay for the sins of wretched people and yet rose again, defeating death, and that offers all now eternal life for those that will believe and come to him. Lord, please bless this ministry, we ask. Bless this mission, we ask. You are unfolding your eternal purposes in this world, Lord, and so we trust you. We lean ourselves upon you. We cast our cares upon you, and we bring our requests and our petitions to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people say, amen. Uh, we're going to sing again. Um, this is a, a, it's a plea of a song. It's a request. Uh, as well as it is a song. Be thou my vision. Let's stand and sing as the musicians lead us. And so um, if you don't have a Bible with you, please do raise your hands uh, and one of the uh, stewards will bring you a, a Bible along. And two of our church members, Russell and Becky, are going to do those two readings for us.
The first reading uh, this morning is from 1 Peter 3, uh, from verses 8 to 17. 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is, good, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Our next reading is Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm not assuming that everyone in this building is a follower of Jesus Christ, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would love to know what year that started, or to use the uh, sort of Christian lingo that we sometimes fall into. When were you saved? When were you born again? When were you converted? If it was prior to 1990, so prior to 1990, would you raise your hand? Okay, and that would seem to be, I think, a large number, maybe the majority. If you are saved between 1990 and 2015, would you raise your hands? Well, actually, that's almost, yeah, almost maybe slightly lower, but a similar uh, number. If you've been saved since 2015, could you raise your hands? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, the reason I've chosen those years is because in the broadest terms, they reflect three different phases of how the good news of Jesus Christ was communicated and received over the years. Uh, for example, the period between 1950 and 1990, I'm calling the age of resonance. You see, although institutional Christianity was dying out, the culture at that time was still Christianized. People had gone to Sunday school. They were familiar uh, with the Bible stories. They still had Christian friends. The message still resonated. So some of the great evangelistic com campaigns of that era were, were built around large personalities, men like Billy Graham, who would preach simply for 20 minutes, make an appeal, and many would come forward to make a profession. You see, he was building on a shared Christian base, fading as it was. 
people knew the story, and by and large, people believed the story to be true. But things were changing. Uh, And I'm calling the period between 1990 and 2015 the age of reaction. See, knowledge of the Bible and the gospel's message was quickly disappearing. And there was arising a whole raft of objections to what people thought the message was all about. So questions like, well, what about other religions? What about science? What about evolution? What about evil? Those questions were coming to the fore. And the church's response to this was to develop more intimate settings where such questions could be asked and answered. And so arose things like Alpha. And Christianity explored and two ways to live and other courses. And these also proved to be relatively fruitful and effective for such cultural moments. But now, from about 2015 onwards, we've moved into another noticeable period. I've called it the age of rejection. The age of rejection. People no longer have any working knowledge of the Bible. They're quite ignorant of what the gospel is all about. And actually, more than that, they have a sense that the Christian message itself is a tool of oppression. It's there to repress and to destroy. It's there to limit our freedoms. It's there to crush minorities. It's evil. It's to be rejected. It won't gain a hearing. Now, very clearly, these are broad and overlapping categories that I've described. But the younger you are, the more you'll be aware of this new arena into which we want to bring the glorious good news of Christ's astounding and liberating grace. And as a city centre church, embarking on a focused time of gospel mission, as we were saying, we're asking the question over these two Sundays, how are we to talk about Jesus to others today? How are we to make him known in this age of rejection and opposition? And the encouraging news is that the situation we're facing today is actually so similar to the situation that was faced by the early church. They were misunderstood. They were misrepresented. They were reviled by the authorities. They were rejected by their communities. Yet within a few centuries... The message of Christ had started the greatest revolution the world has ever seen. So we need to pay particular attention to what was written to them by founding apostles under the leading and direction of God the Holy Spirit. We need to have a fresh understanding of what it means to be witnesses to Jesus today. So we're going to look at two passages that lay out the principles of how every Christian should share the good news. And then next Sunday morning, we'll look at some examples of that in practice from the book of Acts. So firstly, let's go to Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. It was just read to us. Uh, Let me read it again. It will be on screen Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, you'll see, you'll work out from the passage before us that Paul's been writing to the Colossians about his own public ministry of gospel preaching. You see, he's an apostle, he's an evangelist, but he changes emphasis in this paragraph as he goes on to encourage them, those there in Colossae, to use every opportunity that they have to share Christ, not in the direct way that he does, 
but in a responsive manner as opportunity arises. Do you, do you notice the, the division there in the passage that we have before it? Uh, right up to verse 4 where Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul's been talking about his ministry, but do you suddenly see the shift into verse 5? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And by the way, this doesn't just seem to be Paul's pet idea. Peter mentions it too. That was read to us there in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, two vital principles emerge as we interact with those who don't know Jesus as their friend, as their Lord, as their Savior. Number one, show compassion in how you relate. Number two, show wisdom in how you respond. Show compassion in how you relate. Show wisdom in how you respond. So let me unpack each of these in turn. The first heading, show compassion in how you relate. Paul writes, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And Peter writes, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Do this with gentleness and respect. The starting point for conversations about Jesus is living consistent, compassionate, deliciously distinctive lives amongst all those that God brings us into contact with. It may be neighbors, it may be colleagues, it may be family, it may be fellow students. But in these contexts, we're going to be interacting intentionally in compassionate, Christ-like ways. You see, the problem that many of us from an older generation faced was that we were taught when we became Christians to, to remain apart, to be separate, to seal ourselves off from the world, lest we become contaminated with the world's ungodly ways. Uh, and little wonder there arose that them and us mentality. But that's a complete misreading of what the Bible teaches. In fact, Paul had to face this problem with the church at Corinth. You see, it seems that there were some believers there who misunderstood what he had written in an earlier letter. The letter we have as 1 Corinthians wasn't the first letter they'd received. He'd written a previous letter, and in that previous letter he had counseled them not to associate with a sexually immoral church member. And so Paul then has to correct their misunderstanding in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 10. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. And, and Paul's expression, not at all, carries with it that sort of cry of astonishment that the Christians in Corinth should ever think of withdrawing from social contact with outsiders. In fact, the implication is that Paul expected them to maintain and develop such associations. And this is borne out in later passages from 1 Corinthians where Paul talks to them about attending social functions and gatherings. 1 Corinthians 10, from verse 31, he writes this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And remember, that example of Christ that Paul is referring to was an example that horrified the religious leaders of the day. 
when Jesus was on earth, their criticism of him was this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, meals were the natural means for social interaction. And Paul wanted the Corinthian believers to use those opportunities wisely. He hoped that the believers would intentionally engage with their pagan neighbors in the hope that their distinctive and their godly lifestyle would win them a hearing. You see, actually, the contamination that sometimes we speak about uh, is not of the world infecting holy living, but rather what we want to see is the loving integrity of the Christian community challenging pagan suppositions. See, for some of us today here in Edinburgh, this interaction can indeed be over a meal. Where in a relaxed context, we're able to share our lives as well as our food. But let's not forget that dining rooms and dining tables are the preserve of only certain sections of society. Many would be deeply uncomfortable to come to a meal and talk around a table when they're more used to eating their food in front of a television and certainly not having a conversation in the process. No, we need to be sensitive to our contexts and discover natural ways to interact with our neighbours. It may be the local pub or club. It might be getting involved in community issues or getting involved in sporting clubs. It might be a reading group. It might be an Amdram society. Whatever it is, there are many good and legitimate ways that we can naturally interact with others and celebrate with them, though they won't be aware of it, celebrate with them God's common grace and we'll be able to model his overflowing goodness. See, I think the danger that many of us face is that we fall into the Christian ghetto mentality. We prefer our own less challenging and uncontaminated Christian space. We look to our own comforts, actually. We fill our week with Christian meeting after Christian meeting. We take a perverse pride that we're busy in the Lord's work. We manage to live life in the bubble. And we avoid any of the messy realities that come with a sin-stained world. No, we are to be those who deliberately and intentionally live out the lovely lordship of Christ in every possible situation. And we do this actively and positively. We become people who naturally overflow in love and good works. You can see this actually in the way that the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, advising him what to do on that ungodly island of Crete. He addresses in that letter different groups of believers, encouraging them to integrity in all their actions. And he writes there in chapter 2 verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. Even Christian slaves in that letter were expected to live in this way. He writes this to them, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Now, why does he write like that? Is he just trying to keep the status quo going? Nothing of the sort. He goes on to say, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. It is by the lifestyle that Jesus is commended. It is so subversive, living delightfully for Christ and gaining a hearing in that way. In fact, actually, the word translated here about making the gospel attractive is the word from which we get the word cosmetics. So, so Paul is saying that the believers should live lives that will beautifully decorate and commend the good news about Jesus Christ. Against a backdrop of immoral lifestyles and heretical teaching, Paul insists that godly behavior will beautify and commend the true gospel message. Little wonder that Paul begins to conclude that letter to Titus by emphasizing gospel truths and by commanding Titus this. He says, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to 
get this, to devote themselves to doing what is good. Here is a command that we are to be those who devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. You see, as the Christians live out pure, kind, and self-controlled lives, not only will they themselves be blessed, but the watching community will be pointed to Christ, who is the one who makes such redemption and transformation possible. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is this, how can I bless and love all those that I come into contact with? Just think of those that you're going to be meeting over the next two or three days. If we're to take God's word seriously, if we're to be serious about the gospel and about obedience, then what am I going to do? What's my plan? How can I do them good? How will it change the way that I live towards them? How will this challenge the way that I view others, irrespective of their beliefs, irrespective of their lifestyle choices? You're not called to be someone who is going, oh, you shouldn't do that. You are called to be someone who goes there and says, how can I help you? How can I bless you? How can I love you? You see, this is where gospel conversations begin. This is the starting point for sharing the good news of Jesus. So show compassion in how you relate my final point, my second point is this. Show wisdom in how you respond. Show wisdom in how you respond. Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You see, the distinctive gospel living that we are talking about must be explained and shared with distinctive gospel words. Life and lip go together. And according to Paul, this speech will be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And what Paul means is that grace should be the tasty seasoning that permeates and flavors everything they say. It's not primarily here about what you say, but rather how you say it. It's not primarily about the message actually here, it's about the manner. Now that's not to say the message isn't important, far from it, but it's not the specific point that Paul is making here. He isn't talking about public proclamation. He's talking about private conversation. You see, it's as believers live in their communities with all the joys and with all the tensions that that can bring that they should naturally be communicating in ways that are grace-filled. And could I suggest some essential elements of gracious communication that are implicit in these verses? Number one, listen carefully. Listen carefully. If we're to be those who respond, we first need to know what we're responding to. We need to listen to our friends and colleagues. We need to hear where they're coming from. We need to enter into some of the pain that has led them to where they are. The trouble is me here, Andy, I'm not always a good listener, I know that. In my mind, I stop listening and I start working out what I'm going to say next. With me, so often, I'm just waiting for the next gap in the conversation so that I can launch into my pre-packaged presentation of the gospel. I'm not listening as I ought. Whereas good listening hears the clues about what's really troubling my friends or why they've reached the conclusions that they have. You see, for some people, the problem of suffering is a purely metaphysical, intellectual discussion. But for others, it's because they saw their mother die young from cancer. And there's all the difference in the world how you respond. But only good listening will get you there. Listen carefully. Secondly, ask 
sensitively. Ask sensitively. You see, good questions accompany careful listening. They clarify. They give permission to your friend to share about where they're coming from. And although you may not have asked those questions 30 years ago today, it's more than acceptable to ask someone today if they have a faith or whether they pray or what they think about God or what's most important to them. That now is far more acceptable in the culture and age in which we live. And my friends, we should also do this because it's a highly relational thing to do. We move beyond firing gospel bullets at another person from a distance which has so often characterized our gospel work in the past, to getting to know them better. As we enter into their world, we can begin to grasp better what are the real issues that lie behind their comments. And good questions reveal that we're genuinely concerned for them. We really do care about their circumstances and their family, their life experiences and their hurts. You see, questions add color and depth to the person that we're engaging with. And of course, this is what Jesus did. It's been pointed out in the New Testament that it's recorded that Jesus asked 307 questions. 307 questions. See, very rarely did Jesus respond with the sermon. Sometimes he did, but mostly he responded in a way that avoided unnecessary confrontation. And with his questions, he helped the person before him clarify their own thinking. So listen carefully, ask sensitively, and thirdly, respond wisely. Respond wisely. See, both Paul and Peter in the passages we've been looking at tell us we should be ready to give an answer for the hope we have in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that means we'll know what the gospel is about. And we'll be able to articulate how sinners can be forgiven and accepted through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It is the most wonderful. It's the most glorious message. My friends, we need to be able to speak it out. And convey that. And it also means we'll have some understanding of the commonest objections that are regularly thrown at Christians. You've no doubt in your conversations with others, you'll have heard this. You know, well, what about other religions? Do Christians hate gays? What about evolution? Or where does evil come from? See, some of these questions will be genuinely felt. Others are just intellectual smokescreens. But as we listen carefully, and as we respond sensitively, we should have some understanding of how to handle this, these issues and where to go in the conversation. My friend, I don't have time to uh, develop this point, but I think it is wise for each of us. There are many good books that we could talk about which help us understand some of the wise responses to some of the big questions. And if the Bible tells us to be ready to answer, my friends, we should be ready to answer. Respond wisely. Fourthly, share personally. Share personally. See, the most effective response we each have actually is our own story. How we came to see our need. How we responded to the claims of Christ. How it's made all the difference to our lives in knowing Jesus as our Lord and friend and saviour. And, and, and you'll be aware that we live in a culture that's very accepting of each person's unique journey and experience. So be ready to tell your story succinctly and cliche free. But we'll talk a lot more about that next week. So let me develop that next Sunday. Let me just move on to my final point. The fifth thing is this, signpost Jesus. Signpost Jesus. See, the best thing we can do is to get our questioning friend to Jesus as quickly as possible. After all, he's the ultimate answer to all our life's questions and the one who's the focus of the Bible's overarching salvation story. See, indeed, when we're dealing with our friend's questions which come from a hurting heart, Jesus actually is the ideal person to take them to. 
when it comes to questions of suffering. He is the glorious illustration of how God took suffering and brokenness upon himself and how he can empathize with us in our pain and distress. The cross itself, like no other place, speaks of the heights of God's holiness and of the depths of his love. And for the person who feels like an outcast or an outsider, the story of Jesus continually shouts of one who came to be the friend of sinners. One who had harsh, harsher words for the legalistic religious professional than for the seeking soul. One who welcomed the riffraff of society, people like us, and melded them together to be his disciples. You see, well-shaped arguments are fine. Logic has its, rigorous logic has its place. Propositions are necessary, but it's the real, historical Jesus who towers majestically above them all in drawing, seeking sinners to himself. My friends, be ready to point your friends as opportunity arises to Jesus. Look, this isn't an argument to be won these conversations. This isn't an argument to be won. With my friend, I come alongside them. This is one broken person sharing with another broken person. This is giving the other a new perspective that they've never had before. It's not winning an argument. So what about you? Are you a follower of Jesus? If not, can I say this? We'd love to hear from you. We want to hear your story. We want to understand your experience. And we want to share with you the one who radically changed our perspective. You see, once we were where you were in many ways. But it was Jesus who changed our perspectives. And, and we'd, we'd love to share a, a new perspective with you that not only gives you a new perspective, but gives you a new present and a glorious future. Speak to us. We have a, an area of the outside lobby there called uh, Connect Corner. Just on the left-hand side as you're going out, if you want to talk to someone, just, just be there. Plonk yourself on the settee. Someone should come and uh, chat with you. We'd love to talk more. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let me close by addressing you. Are you ready to answer everyone for the hope that you have? That's the biblical command. And is that seen in the things you do? Is it heard in the words you speak? Is it felt in the love that you show? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this most wonderful news. Thank you for what it's done for us. Thank you that uh, you opened our eyes to the fact that we were screw-ups and failures. And you, in your mercy and love, showed us that there was, a, there was grace, there was a, a saviour, there was someone who came to forgive us and love us more than we can ever imagine. And we thank you for the way that Jesus has turned our lives around. And thank you for all he means. Thank you for the hope he gives um, Father, we do pray for folks in this building this morning who as yet do not know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Have mercy, we pray. And Father, for those of us who, who do, just help us to communicate Jesus in ways which are loving and natural. Help us to engage with our communities, Lord. Forgive us for the fear that often holds us back. And grant that we would be those are able not only to do good things, to bless and love everyone we come into contact with, but those who are wise and able to speak gospel words into their situations. Lord, help us to get serious about the gospel. Help us to realize afresh that without Christ, our friends are still outsiders. Have mercy, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a closing song that picks up some of these themes. Hear the call of the kingdom. So please, would you, be, would you stand so we're ready to sing?
can uh, help us in regards to the mission week, there are those clipboards. One which has mysteriously now appeared there. Front, thank you. Um, so two here, two uh, back at gallery, two in the lobby. And if you'd like to ask any questions about some of the stuff that I've shared you, um, love to talk with you further. We do have, as I said, that connect corner out there, left-hand side, just by that door, the main door. Um, there'll be folks there. Let, let's talk about these things. Let's listen to one another. Let's share the good news that's rescued so many of us. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Amen.